would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 12? I have high hopes of getting out of the book of, uh, out of chapter 12. <laughs> I'm feeling it. And here's the thing, we're actually getting to the good part. Like I've talked to uh, Donna Van Leer about uh, teaching one of the Sundays about some of the stuff of Mark 13. And uh, it's not next Sunday, by the way. So it's just not the way it's going to be. But coming up, Donna's going to be teaching. She's re- just writing a book on this, on what's happening in the return of Christ. And so she's right in the middle of all this stuff. Uh, so that's coming. But I just, as I was reading through this, it was like, no, this is the perfect passage for us for the last Sunday of 2019. And I'm, and I'm going to go from verses 38 to 44. And then I'm actually going to do, this is how we're getting out of, we're going to get out of chapter 12 today. I'm going to do two verses in uh, chapter 13 in this. So crushing it. Uh, but you know that like the, I believe that the words of the scripture are inspired, but the chapters and the verses are, are not. And so sometimes uh, some thoughtful translator put a chapter and a verse there that actually broke up a, a story that was actually still going on. It wasn't at the end of it. And so that's what's happening right here. So have you found Mark 12, verse 38, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. This is all part of the same sermon that's been going on for ch- all through chapter 12. This is this, he's like, it's me standing here teaching. This is just the end of, of that message. We just happened to have squeezed about four weeks out of it. They like to walk around. Watch out for these teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. And Ethan, I'm pretty sure they would have worn expensive sneakers had they have had that option. Maybe went shopping at Citizen in downtown Franklin. <laughs> they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Not for their sneakers, I might add. Something way more diabolical. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Okay, sermon's over. Jesus sits down and he's taking a look across the temple court and he sees people putting money in the offering. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And uh, Jay Austin actually brought with me a project. I don't know if this is for school or not, but he brought a project uh, of these coins that are throughout history, uh, everything from Constantine in 361 and all the way back to the widow's mite, which is 103 to 76 BC. Uh, so if you want to get a look at that, I'm going to have, I'll just leave it up here. Just, just don't steal it because it's not mine. Um, this tiny little worthless coin without even any markings on it. So calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. And then verse 1 of chapter 13, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent, like beautiful buildings. Do you see all of these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another. 
every one of them will be thrown down, which was a bold statement about a temple that had been built by, rebuilt by Herod the Great. Now, this is the story of the widow's might. Did anybody grow up in church and hear about this story, the widow's might? Okay. Now, maybe when it was preached to you, it was taught as a, this is a, someone giving sacrificially. She didn't give, uh, she gave all that she had. The rich people, they were just giving a little bit. She gave all of it. And generally speaking, wouldn't it have been taught as, and that's how you should give too. Give till it hurts. Give, sacrifice, give, right? Because do like the widow is doing here. That was generally speaking how it would have been taught where I grew up. I may or may not have taught that once or twice. But as I was reading this, uh, the question came to my mind, is that what this, is that what Jesus is teaching us here? Is that really what he's saying? Or is it the exact opposite? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. This is God's word, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're approaching your word inspired, a gift to us, your promises, your truth in front of us. And I pray today that that word will be a light. It'll be a lamp. Lord, this is not just an economic ex exercise, economic, academic exercise, nor an economic one. An academic exercise. This is a spiritual quest we have this morning that your words will be alive for us today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen, amen. Now, think with me about this. I just asked the question, is that what Jesus is doing? Commending the faith of this widow and that you and I should act and give the same. Is that what he's doing? Think back, chapter 11. Remember when Mo taught? What did Mo teach us? That when Jesus said, you can speak unto this mountain, cast into the sea, believe in your heart, speak with your mouth. He was looking at the temple mount where the temple stood, speaking of salvation, saving faith language. Speak with your mouth, believe in your heart. Say unto this mountain, this mountain of religion, and it will be cast into the sea. And then we move forward and Jesus is turning over tables in the temple, a den of robbers and thieves, he calls it, right? And then he gets into chapter 12 and he's calling the Pharisees hypocrites. He's busting the chops of the Sadducees and the scribes. And then he gets to this passage here and he talks about them devouring, listen, devouring widows' houses, these teachers of the law, which, by the way, are still there. It's like, you know, Brandenburg is just asking me a question and, you know, pressing, like, what about this? What about that? What about, while we're preaching, which was not uncommon in that day, the way that they taught, which honestly, I think would be a lot more fun, if I'm being honest. People going, hey, no, you like back and forth. That seems a lot more fun. In our culture, I understand we don't do that. And, and please don't start this morning, because I don't, <laughs> sorry, be very careful how I suggest that. Teacher, <laughs> leave it to the guy with the prayer shawl. <laughs> He's going to give it to me, but which I respect immensely, David, I promise you. Uh, <laughs> but he's like, he's just talking to Jamie. He's kind of busted his chops. And then he looks at the rest of the room and says, hey, be careful of that guy. Be careful of the teachers of the law. 
Of course, this is all hypothetical. This has nothing to do with Jamie in particular. Don't have to look out for Jamie. Look out for that guy. He's running around in his flowing robes. He wants the great seats at the banquet. He wants to look good, smell good, be at the front of the table, and he devours widows' houses. Now, look at that widow right there who just put everything into the offering that she had and pays for that guy's flowing robes. Is Jesus commending this widow for her faith, or is he condemning the system for the fear Now put that in your pipe and smoke it for just a little bit. Because when you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. This on its own, and by the way, we're building, we're building a building here. This would have been a great day for me to have used this to like raise a bunch of money for the building. That was not lost on me, Charlie. I'm sorry. I was like, well, that would have been a great offering sermon. <laughs> And by the way, there are other places where God speaks of generosity and sacrificial giving. But that, I don't think that's the one. That's not what he's saying. He is giving, by the way, a precaution for the disciples. This is the way we're going to break this down. There's a precaution for the disciples. There's a prediction for the future and a promise for the widow. That's how this passage unfolds here. He is saying to this disciples here a precaution. Be careful of Guys like that. Guys like what? Guys, women, I might add, religious systems that would cause you, inspire you to follow God based out of fear and not faith. How afraid would you have been as a widow? Have you ever been to that point I grew up in a home where we got to that point. At the end of the month, the food stamps would run out and we didn't have anything. And we're like, it's amazing what you can make out of a bag of generic tater tots and a can of cream of mushroom soup, right? Like it's, it's amazing. Some of you know that, even maybe now. But how afraid would you have been to go to your pantry and take everything you had and give it to the treasury knowing that your children will not eat tonight or tomorrow? Is that faith or is that fear? What fear possibly could have consumed her to do something like that? The fear of Herod. This was Herod's temple. These were temple taxes. The temple treasury was meant to help widows and orphans, not take from them. She shouldn't have even been there. But out of fear is how she was giving. And he's saying if your walk with God, your relationship with God is based on fear. That is not a relationship, that's slavery. That's bondage. And what I love about the way that Jesus sets this up is that fear giving isn't faith living. Like it's not the same thing. Giving out of faith whether that's your, your talents, your time, your treasure. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul kind of takes this to task. Eight, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Many of us are familiar with this uh, because that's 2 Corinthians 9 where it says that God loves a cheerful giver, right? And how many of you might have been in a church at some point in your life, maybe even last week for all I know, where they get the offering envelopes out, hold it up in the air, 
it's offering time. Get excited. Nobody, is it literally only me? Am I the only guy that had that church? Some of you did. Okay. I, I get the point of why, what they're saying. I, I get that. I get the point. But that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he talks about giving, specifically, by the way, an offering that was taken for the poor and the oppressed who were uh, being uh, persecuted and in famine in Jerusalem. In fact, even in 2 Corinthians 9, when he actually quotes the Old Testament, he talks about God scattering his gifts abroad to the poor. Okay? That was a very specific offering that he was talking about. And in that context of that offering, He's saying God loves a cheerful giver. You're giving to something that's going to change somebody's life. That's, a, that's inspiring. But that's not the only reason why it's inspiring. Because he actually then talks about, he uses the word grace. Chapters 8 and 9. Somebody feel free to count it and see if I mess this up. I think there's at least eight times that he refers to generosity as grace. This grace that will be given. Second Corinthians 9, 8, I think in the Amplified Version, God is able to make every grace, every favor, earthly blessing come to you in abundance. He talks about it as grace. And, and he stirs it even deeper when he says that, man, the, the, you people in Corinth, you first gave yourself to Christ and then you gave in the offering. He, he talks about it as Christ had become, was rich, became poor so that we might, not as a manipulation, but saying that because he was rich and he became poor so that you might become rich, it's a grace for you. So you're no longer giving out of some moral obligation, some burden, some fear that you're going to be cursed. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. No, he has redeemed you to the point where now I'm giving because of everything that Christ did for me. The least I could do is to give of my life back to him. You see, she gave of her everything, her life, her, her bios is the word that Jesus used, everything. And the way this world works, the way it's set up, you are going to give your life, your bios, to something, and it's up to you as to who that is going to be. She is everything she had. You know what that means? She gave up her peace of mind. She gave up her stability, Every, it was all gone, giving it to this religious system. And whether you give that to secularism or to materialism, to religion, it takes everything from you. Wouldn't you rather, if, if you're in a world where you're going to end up giving your everything to somebody or something, give it to the one somebody that gave his everything to you already? And out of grace, we get to give, not out of manipulation. It's your life. I'm giving not just my money. That is just a small portion of the life that I get to give. He's giving us a precaution. Don't buy into this religious system. And then one other precaution that I see in here is that God's concern for the poor, for the powerless, for the oppressed is unmistakable in the scriptures. Over and over throughout the old covenant, God and his concern for the immigrant, for the alien, for the poor, for the widow, for the oppressed. He is so wrapped up in them that to ignore them is to ignore him. That's a bold statement. And Jesus doesn't just talk about it. He actually builds on it, right? Matthew 25, when you've done it for the least of these, you've done it unto me. And what does that mean? If I haven't done it for the least of these, then 
I haven't done it for Jesus, that I'm ignoring them means I'm ignoring Jesus. The precaution for the disciples is to not find yourself, to be very aware of the fact if you find yourself in a place that is celebrating prosperity, that is in, by the way, that is just as much secularism and materialism as it is in religion. Some of the most prosperous, successful, technologically advanced cities in the United States of America have the highest uh, portions of homelessness, of poverty, of people being held in bondage. And that's what secularism is doing for them. The whole not in my backyard. We want you to build something, but not here because that's going to hurt our property values. Secularism is just as guilty. It's only in Christ that we can say that we get to bring that to them. So that is the precaution. Look out for those who are going to steal from the poor and the oppressed and not to participate or be a part of that yourself. And then he gives this prediction for the future. Be careful of these guys. Don't become one of them. Don't get caught up in them. And the prediction for the future starts out, and he is going to talk about some eschatology that's coming. But look what he starts here. The disciples are coming out of this uh, temple now. And they've just heard him say, be careful, the, the long robes and the whatever. And he says to them, uh, they say, look, but look at this beautiful building. Look at this glorious, grand and gold. And, and Jesus said, do you see all of these great buildings? Verse 2 of chapter 13. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Shannon and I just got back from Europe. We talked about, remember, Christmas markets. And, and by the way, she was handing out Christmas gifts this year. I thought, okay, Christmas markets, big win. Big win for the Tyler family. Little ornaments and smelly things, and it was just great. Pleasant. They, were, they smelled pleasant. Like, like a potpourri. But we were walking around, in, and we would see these cathedrals that were g- literally g- glorious, Gold, silver, granite, and marble, and humongous built using the money of people who were trying to buy their way to salvation with indulgences. The disciples are like, look at these glorious buildings. And Jesus, yeah, and you know how much pain and suffering? That is devouring the homes of widows just to keep the lights on in that place. And I'm going to tear it all down. Because the forgiveness that I've come to bring, the prediction for the future, is I'm not just going to knock down that building. I'm going to knock down that system. Now, we as humans love a system. And we'll build them all over again, our different varieties of them. Have you ever heard somebody on the television tell you to, if you will send money now, then I will get you a miracle. Okay? Plant a seed for your need. You've ever heard that? Okay. That's not cool. A, it's not biblical. And B, it's taking money from somebody to try to buy something that God has given them for free. He wants to tear down that system. The system in our secularism that says, if I'm buying in enough, if I have nice enough clothes, if I have a nice enough house, I have a, a ni- then I've won, I've succeeded, and I'm saved, so to speak. He wants to tear down that system. And it's being rebuilt with stones that he calls a church. 
when, uh, when you think about that for a, 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 even just a second, Peter is standing when this is all happening. And Jesus, in the same sermon, Mark 12 says, hey, I'm the chief cornerstone. There's stones that builder rejected. Peter later on in 1 Peter 2, 5, actually starts talking about you and I becoming the living stones. So this temples, they're being knocked down. They're being destroyed because I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to then turn you and you and you and you into living stones, 1 Peter 2, verse 5, coming together to become the temple, that's what he says, of the Holy Spirit here on earth. In their day, the temple was one place in one city on one mountain. In our day, the temple is everywhere. The body of Christ dwells together with your stone coming together with my stone and we create a temple of the Holy Spirit. When we watched uh, the tour guides telling us about these beautiful cathedrals, they said that what they wanted to do was to bring heaven to earth. This was, that was their idea. So heaven has gold. Heaven has cherubs. So we're going to paint them on the ceiling and we're going to bring in beautiful art. And in fairness, it is beautiful. The temple, Mount, beautiful. These cathedrals, beautiful. And they are nothing like what heaven is. Bringing heaven to earth, does it mean bringing buildings to earth? Or, you know, in heaven there are no Hungry people. In heaven, there's no nakedness. In heaven, there's no oppression. There's no marginalization. There are no children without parents. To bring heaven to earth, is it not bringing gold cathedrals as opposed to living stones coming together and bringing hope, bringing food, bringing restoration to those who need it the most? Doesn't that feel more like heaven on earth? And I'm so proud of our church family because this past year, again, y'all have just, y'all, y'all have just been, we're just going to move this church down to Lewisburg at this point. Y'all have been beautiful. Y'all have been radically generous yet again in 2019. I see uh, Cassie is back here. $39,000 have come through Conduit to Place of Hope again in this year. I don't know what that takes the total investment up to. It's got to be close to four or $500,000 that we've been able to invest in this uh, Christ-centered drug and alcohol rehabilitation in Columbia, Tennessee for the poor, for those who can't afford it, and it's right there. And by the way, it wasn't just in the money that has been given. It has been in the work that has been done I know that there's a library down there that the Van Leer family, sorry, you don't want to be telling me. Anyway, Van Leer family has invested heavily in for those people to have books. Buford, uh, uh, Rich, uh, Richard Verboski go down and they're taking food all the time. Y- y'all are doing amazing things. And 
and lives are being changed. This was really powerful to me. One of the graduates who was on staff is a girl named Dolores, and she just shared this post that I thought you could see a lot better than you're going to be able to see, if I'm being honest. Uh, talking about just saving the children starts with saving the parents. And what happened in her comments underneath of her original post were people who had gone through the program posting photographs and stories of their own recovery and their restoration back to their families. And you see Carrie Isabel there. You see Marcy, moms and dads taken away from their children who have been restored because of Place of Hope. $40,000 is nothing. God could sneeze $40,000. What happened was people's lives have been changed because of that. And he let you and I partner in that. In the last year, $96,000 has gone through this place to Guatemala to help the Juilliards and El Refugio in the work that they are doing at uh, helping battered women. Women, it's in America, and some of you have been in abusive situations. You know how hard it is in America without programs and without help and without hope. In Guatemala, there are zero programs. There's nobody even to get on a waiting list for, especially if you have children. And so what happens at El Refugio is women and their children are living there safely, getting back on their feet, getting work, getting, learning a trade so that they can be turned back out into society in a safe place. $96,000 that you guys gave joyfully and cheerfully to change their lives. You might remember that it was just a couple months ago I was in Bharatnagar, Nepal. I, I posted that photo because the dude in the middle with the Don Johnson suit is... Right, Miami Vice. It's like Nepal Vice. He was the chief of police for the Bharatnagar Police Department. That guy had come with the authority and the power to arrest me that day. But he stood up and he said, we saw what you guys did last year when the floods came to our people. When no one else was helping us, you guys were sending money and you were helping our villagers out of their mess. And because we saw that, we're going to let you have this meeting today and we're going to let you guys do what you need to do here today. 1 Peter 2, verse 15, further down in this 1 Peter passage, he says, the way that you silence the talk of foolish men is not with an argument, but with your good works. It shut him up. He sat there and listened to what we had to say and didn't shut us down. And again, just this past week, we've been sending more food. Can I, I want to show you this real quick video. This was shot yesterday. Today, while we're sitting here, this food is being distributed in Shabin, Haiti, in the mountains where these families are still with no food. Imagine mamas and daddies going home today. There is no food in the pantry. You have no money to get from from the store. And you might not even find any at the store if you did have money because that's the humanitarian crisis that it's happening in Haiti right now. But we sent down money again, and this is for 60 families. The mountain church. That's their pile. We went grocery shopping. Thank you so much, Conduit Church. And partners, thank you, Pastor Darren. We have of our people, thank you for those, those packages, for the support, your financial support. As if we're facing this crisis in Haiti, you have been tremendous support, tremendous blessing. 
thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 60 or 70 families by the end of today are going to have enough food to get them through the next month in the mountains of Haiti. We spent time in Uganda again this year. Uh, we planted our fifth church. And when I say plant a church, you know what we mean is that we drill a well. We build a little building for the church. We build a school. We build a clinic. We've done that four. This is our fifth time. There are 500 kids in these villages that are right now going to school that were not going to school before. Staffed by uh, Ugandans, paid for by conduits. Y'all have been radically generous, grace-filled giving to people who cannot possibly thank you enough this side of heaven. By the way, this was the year we also sent over a car because if you remember last year we had one of the little babies in the village died because there was no way to get her to a hospital and it just devastated me. So we bought him a car. It turns into a, it's a car. It's like in, in Togo, right? With William, we got him a car and all of a sudden that's not just a car. It's an ambulance. It's a supply run. It's like a transportation to and from. That, that is happening right now in Uganda. We learned that in Togo. And by the way, $20,000 was shipped to Togo this year for David that's going to convert the old church building that we have there into a clinic. So now there's going to be a functional clinic in West Africa. David just got back from there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that was Uganda. This is the picture, obviously, from the food distributions in Haiti. The, the, here's the point. The total number of revenue that has gone through us to the front lines, and this is not my money. When you hear Mo or anyone say, it's time to receive the offering, okay, that is not on accident. We are not taking an offering. We are just receiving, and we are just being a conduit of your generosity from here to the places that it's needed the most. But again, in this last year, conduit, you all have invested $669,000. And by the way, in this last year, we said we, were, we feel like God's wanting us to build this building. And it's like, it made me angry. I didn't want to do this. It felt, and at first I was like, I can't, how can I possibly justify this? We can build a building for $30,000 in Africa. And I remember God, it was almost like God showed me, yeah, but the pastor's salary is like 150 bucks a month. So proportionally speaking, $30,000 to him is like 3 million to me. And in Williamson County, it's just not easy to build something inexpensively. we got to drill a hole under the road so y'all can go to the bathroom when you come here. I don't know what it is, but it seems like y'all have to go to the bathroom. So we got to drill a hole under the road. And there, there's things that have to happen. But even with that, we've managed to do this for super inexpensively. And even with that, without us, I don't, hopefully you've not felt manipulated. You haven't felt us hammering you to continue your giving. But the gifts that have so far come in just since we started this is $355,225. No, no impact to our, our current mission giving. None of that has dropped off at all. And Mo, because his spiritual gift of not spending money, has, it's a spiritual gift, has managed to be putting away $15,000 a month since January last year, which means that we've got almost 555000 actually in that account right now. Yeah. When we did this, I said, one of the things I felt the Lord saying, I don't, me or the Lord, who knows, was we're not going to do this if we can't afford it. We're not going to do, because remember when you're young and you go, okay, I built this, I, wanna, I can't afford this house. 
but I'm going to buy it and then I'll, hopefully I'll get a raise and then maybe someday I can afford it. And how did that work out really, right, for you? It didn't work out so much for us. We're like, as a church, there's no way we're doing that. If we can't afford this without growing one more family, then we're not doing it. And it turns out we've been able to do that and we're still believing that God is going to do this in cash. Uh, and y'all who have continued to make your commitments and your pledges towards that, thank you so much. We're not manipulating you on purpose because this is a grace giving, right? Not a fear giving. Now that said, I want to share one more thing with you that's probably the most important thing. The precaution, right? Be warned about this. Here's the promise. This is what a church is supposed to be of living stones. But he left this with a promise for the widow and a promise that because it was for the widow, it's also for us. If you've traveled at all and you've seen things that have happened to people that are unjust and unfair, seen people abused, seen people martyred and massacred, the words of Jesus here, these men will be punished more severely, are words of hope. In Western sensibility, we don't like the idea of a judge. I don't like the idea of standing before somebody who's going to judge me good or bad. I'm fiercely independent. I am way too sophisticated for that in Western culture. And might I suggest to you that if that's how you feel, consider that maybe it comes from a place of privilege because your daughter hasn't been raped. Your husband hasn't been murdered. Your family hasn't lost everything and crying out, God, have you seen? Can you see what's happening in Haiti? They're praying, God, this government is crushing us. When, Lord? How long, Lord? The prayers of that of justice are sincere prayers. Just this past month, Boko Haram in Nigeria murdered another at least 10 Christians. How long, O oh Lord, before you are just and bring the punishment for those? I would suggest to you that judgment doesn't make God mean. It makes him righteous and good. I cannot have the goodness of God without the judgment of God. And I would take it a step further and say... All of us deserve this judgment. Now we could go down a rabbit hole and don't get me wrong, I'd love to. He says most severely, it seems to indicate levels of retribution of God towards sin. I don't, I don't know that, but that seems what he's saying there. But whatever level it is, we all deserve a level of retribution. What did I say last week? If you were here, Exodus 34 talked about God being good and kind and compassionate and loving and patient, and he cannot uh, let any sin go unpunished. That is a contradiction. How could a God that is good also be a God that is just? How could a God that is compassionate not let a sin go unpunished? They seem to be incongruent, except in Christ. They want flowing robes. That's what he says. Be careful of these. They want their flowing robes. For us, that might just mean I'm going to put my hope in my success, in my ability to dominate and to be, and to be good and to be helpful in society, that that's going to be my flowing robe. 
being greeted with respect. I like being greeted with respect, right? When my children wake in the morning, I want them to say, oh, father, my father. Now, that doesn't happen, but that, you know, in, in a perfect world, I want to be treated with respect. Like, these are things that all of us have at the core of who we are. But me standing before God saying that it's my flowing robes, my success, my position at the table, do you really want to take your chances as that being your ticket to an innocent verdict? Or... Do you consider that Jesus had a flowing robe, but it was stripped away from him? Before taken to the cross, they took his flowing robe and sold it off. He wasn't greeted with respect in the marketplace. He was spat on and mocked. Most important seat in the synagogue, he was kicked out of the synagogue place of honor at banquets, that last night, that last supper, did Jesus take the head of the table? He got on his knees beside the table and he bent down and he washed the feet of the disciples. What he did was the antithesis of what these people did. He took the punishment that they deserved, that if we might receive that work, that we wouldn't be dressed in flowing robes, we would be dressed in white robes of his righteousness. That we would be seated at the table the Last Supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, as co-heirs with Christ, seated at the table with him. There's going to be a banquet. Luke 14 talks about that. And who did he say? The people that were so sure of themselves, successful, I can't, I can't be bothered, I'm busy. They didn't show up, but it was the poor, the powerless, the oppressed, the marginalized. It's all of us who come to the Father and say, I am poor and powerless and oppressed and I can't do this in my own. We are the ones invited to that banquet because of the work that he did for us at the cross. I'm no longer working to get to the seat of the table. When you talk to these listen to interviews of these Instagram influencers, one of the things that you see is how exhausting the entire exercise is because they have to keep doing it every day, after month, after year. And if they miss it, then they fall out of favor and have to start over again. It's exhausting. Whether you're a secular materialist trying to earn your way in this world or you were religious trying to buy your salvation. None of that. God says none of that was working anyway, so I'm going to destroy all of that and rebuild a temple of you and I of living stones. The stone that the builder rejected will become the cornerstone and then the rest of us are built around that. And our choice is this, to reject the work that he did and he says that that stone will crush us or to receive the work that he did and that stone will be what we build upon. Those are our two choices. And I pray that for our coming year in 2020, first of all, for those of us who are in Christ, Jason said, I don't know if it was first or second service or maybe both, that this is a year where I want relationship and no more religion. 
to just throw that religion away. Every time when you begin to think, okay, this went wrong. I wonder what I'm doing wrong that this happened to me. Cast that away. That is not God. That is condemnation. Every time that I'm giving, but I'm giving only because I'm afraid and that fear of it. Ask yourself, am I afraid? Is that why I'm doing this? And if so, think, man, wait, I'm just giving it out of the love of Christ in my own heart. This is the least I could do is to help my brothers and sisters. But reject wherever the religion is sneaking into all of our lives, reject it out. And for those that maybe have never accepted that work to begin with, this is a as good a day as any to say, I'm done with this. I'm throwing it all down and I'm going to let Jesus build me up. I'm going to receive and accept the work that he has done. I couldn't do it anyway. I'm going to pray for you. Would you stand? As you're standing, my prayer for you today is for those of you that maybe have not had that relationship with Christ and you've not received that finished work of Christ. Today, it's your day. I don't need you to have to come down here and turn around and spin around. No, no, no. You're just right where you are. Just call upon the name of the Lord. And I want to pray for those of us who are in Christ now that as we move into 2020, that this is our year to step into more relationship and less religion. Not one of these stones will be left. What stones am I building up in my life that I got to just knock back over again? Gang, it's so good. This good news is so good. This grace, if you're, (laughs) I put it this way, if your grace isn't amazing, you're not doing it right. If your grace isn't scandalous, you might not understand it. It's that good what he wants to do in your life, what he's done in your life. Grace giving, not fear living. It's a whole different way. That's how you can give joyfully. Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, I pray that uh, the words that you've given me today will be words that will impact each of us who are here. And Father, in places that I have fallen short in in those words. I know that your Holy Spirit is still here and speaking and you're a way better communicator than I am. It's my prayer, Lord, that these words land in our hearts, that they grow, and that those of us, maybe who, maybe you're showing some of us right now where fear is is ruling in our hearts in a place where you can knock that part of the, the temple over in us and let your spirit reside in us with faith and not fear. Thank you for, we've survived 2019. You have been here through the ups and the downs. And we look to 2020 with great hope, with great expectation for what you want to do for us. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year, gang. We'll see you next Sunday.